Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading the final chapters of Heidi by Joanna Speary. This has been one of my favourite books on the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed reading it. So, let your eyes fall heavy. And your breath soften. As we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 22 Something Unexpected Happens The next day dawned cloudless and fair. The grandfather was still with the children when Peter came climbing up. His goats kept at a good distance from him to evade the rod, which was striking right and left. The truth was that the boy was terribly embittered and angry by the changes that had come. When he passed the hut in the morning, Heidi was always busy with the strange child, and in the evening it was the same. All summer long, Heidi had not been up with him a single time. It was too much. And today... She was coming at last, but again in company with this hateful stranger. It was then that Peter noticed the rolling chair standing near the hut. After carefully looking about him, he rushed at the hated object and pushed it down the incline. The chair fairly flew away and soon disappeared. Peter's conscience smote him now, and he raced up the Alp, not daring to pause till he had reached a blackberry bush. There he could hide when the uncle might appear. Looking down, he watched his fallen enemy tumbling downwards, downwards. Sometimes it was thrown up high into the air, to crash down again the next moment harder than ever. Pieces were falling from it right and left and were blown about. Now the stranger would have to travel home and Heidi would be his again. But Peter had forgotten that a bad deed always brings a punishment. 
Heidi just now came out of the hut. The grandfather, with Clara, followed. Heidi at first stood still, and then, running right and left, she returned to the old man. What does this mean? Have you rolled the chair away, Heidi? he asked. I am just looking for it everywhere, grandfather. You said it was beside the shop door, said the child, still hunting for the missing object. A strong wind was blowing, which at this moment violently closed the shop door. Grandfather, the wind has done it, exclaimed Heidi eagerly. Oh dear, if it has rolled all the way down to the village, it will be too late to go today. It will take us too long to fetch it. If it has rolled down there, we shall never get it anymore, for it will be smashed to pieces, said the old man, looking down and measuring the distance from the corner of the hut. I don't see how it happened, he remarked. What a shame. Now I'll never be able to go up to the pasture, lamented Clara. I am afraid I'll have to go home now. What a pity. What a pity. You can find a way for her to stay, Grandfather, can't you? We'll go up to the pasture today, as we planned. Then we shall see what further happens. The children were delighted, and the Grandfather lost no time in getting ready. First he fetched a pile of covers, and seating Clara on a sunny spot on the dry ground, he got their breakfast. I wonder why Peter is so late today, he said, leading his goats out of the shed. Then, lifting Clara up on one strong arm, he carried the covers on the other. Now march, he cried. The goats come with us. That suited Heidi, and with one arm round Schwanali and the other round Bali, she wandered up. Her little companions were so pleased at having her with them again that they nearly crushed her with affection. What was their astonishment when, arriving on top, they saw Peter already lying on the ground with his peaceful flock about him. What did you mean by going by us like that? I'll teach you, called the uncle to him. Peter was frightened, for he knew the voice. Nobody was up yet, the boy retorted. Have you seen the chair? asked the uncle again. Which? Peter growled. The uncle said no more. Unfolding the covers, he put Clara down on the dry grass. Then, when he had been assured of Clara's comfort, he got ready to go home. 
the three were to stay there till his return in the evening. When dinner time had come, Heidi was to prepare the meal and see that Clara got Schwanali's milk. The sky was a deep blue and the snow on the peaks was glistening. The eagle was floating above the rocky crags. The children felt wonderfully happy. Now and then, one of the goats would come and lie down near them. Tender little snowhopper came oftener than any and would rub her head against their shoulders. They had been sitting quietly for a few hours, drinking in the beauty about them, when Heidi suddenly began to long for the spot where so many flowers grew. In the evening, it would be too late to see them, for they always shut their little eyes by then. Oh, Clara, she said hesitantly, would you be angry if I went away from you a minute and left you alone? I want to see the flowers, but wait. Jumping up, she brought Clara some bunches of fragrant herbs and put them in her lap. Soon after, she returned with little Snowhopper. So now you don't need to be alone, said Heidi. When Clara had assured her that it would give her pleasure to be left alone with the goats, Heidi started on her walk. Clara slowly handed one leaf after the other to the little creature. It became more and more confiding, and cuddling close to the child, ate the herbs out of her hand. It was easy to see how happy it was to be away from the boisterous big goats, which often annoyed it. Clara felt a sensation of contentment, such as she had never before experienced. She loved to sit there on the mountainside with the confiding little goat by her. A great desire rose in her heart that hour. She longed to be her own master and be able to help others instead of being helped by them. Many other thoughts and ideas rushed through her mind. How would it be to live up here in continual sunshine? The world seemed so joyous and wonderful all of a sudden. Premonitions of future undreamt of happiness made her heart beat. Suddenly, she threw both arms about the little goat and said, Oh, little snowhopper, how beautiful it is up here. If I could always stay with you. Heidi, in the meantime, had reached the spot where, as she had expected, the whole ground was covered with yellow rock roses. Near together in patches, 
the bluebells were nodding gently in the breeze. But all the perfume that filled the air came from the modest little brown flowers that hid their heads between the golden flower cups. Heidi stood enraptured, drawing in the perfumed air. Suddenly, she turned and ran back to Clara, shouting to her from afar. Oh, you must come, Clara. It is so lovely there. In the evening, it won't be so fine anymore. Don't you think I could carry you? But Heidi, Clara said, of course you can't. You're much smaller than I am. Oh, I wish I could walk. Heidi meditated a little. Peter was still lying on the ground. He had been staring down for hours, unable to believe what he saw before him. He had destroyed the chair to get rid of the stranger, and there she was again, sitting right beside his playmate. Heidi now called to him to come down, but as reply, he only grumbled, Shan't come. But you must come, come quickly, for I want you to help me. Quickly, urged the child. Don't want to, sounded the reply. Heidi hurried up the mountain now and shouted angrily to the boy. Peter, if you don't come this minute, I shall do something that you won't like. Those words scared Peter for his conscience was not clear. His deed had rejoiced him till this moment, when Heidi seemed to talk as if she knew it all. What if Grandfather should hear about it? Trembling with fear, Peter obeyed. I shall only come if you promise not to do what you said, insisted the boy. No, no I won't, don't be afraid, said Heidi compassionately. Just come along, it isn't so hard. Peter, on approaching Clara, was told to help raise the child from the ground on one side, while Heidi helped on the other. This went easily enough but difficulties soon followed. Clara was not able to stand alone, and how could they get any further? You must take me round the neck, said Heidi, who had seen what poor guides they made. The boy, who had never offered his arm to anybody in his life, had to be shown how first before further efforts could be made. But it was too hard. Clara tried to set her feet forward, but got discouraged. Press your feet on the ground more, 
and I'm sure it will hurt you less, suggested Heidi. Do you think so? said Clara, timidly. But, obeying, she ventured a firm step, and soon another, uttering a little cry as she went. Oh, it really has hurt me less, she said joyfully. Try it again, Heidi urged her. Clara did, and took another step, and then another, and another still. Suddenly, she cried aloud. Oh, Heidi, I can do it. Oh, I really can. Just look. I can take steps, one after the other. Heidi rapturously exclaimed, Oh, Clara, can you really? Can you walk? Oh, can you take steps now? Oh, if only Grandfather would come. Now you can walk, Clara. Now you can walk, she kept saying joyfully. Clara held on tight to the children, but with every new step, she became more firm. Now you can come up here every day, cried Heidi. Now we can walk wherever we want to, and you don't have to be pushed in a chair anymore. Now you'll be able to walk all your life. Oh, what a joy. Clara's greatest wish, to be able to be well like other people, had been fulfilled at last. It was not very far to the flowering field. Soon they reached it and sat down among the wealth of bloom. It was the first time that Clara had ever rested on dry, warm earth. All about them, the flowers nodded and exhaled their perfume. It was a scene of exquisite beauty. The two children could hardly grasp this happiness that had come to them. It filled their hearts brimming full and made them silent. Peter also lay motionless, for he had gone to sleep. Thus the hours flew, and the day was long past noon. Suddenly, all the goats arrived for they had been seeking the children. They did not like to graze in the flowers, and were glad when Peter awoke with their loud bleating. The poor boy was mightily bewildered, for he had dreamt that the rolling chair with the red cushions stood again before his eyes. On waking, he had still seen the golden nails but soon he discovered that they were nothing but flowers. Remembering his deed, he obeyed Heidi's instructions willingly. When they came back to their former place, Heidi lost no time in setting out the dinner. The bag was very full today, and Heidi hurried to fill her promise to Peter 
who with bad conscience had understood her threat differently. She made three heaps of the good things, and when Clara and she were through, there was still a lot left for the boy. It was too bad that all this treat did not give him the usual satisfaction, for something seemed to stick in his throat. Soon after their belated dinner, the grandfather was seen climbing up the Alp. Heidi ran to meet him, confusedly telling him of the great event. The old man's face shone at this news. Going over to Clara, he said, So, you've risked it. Now we have won. Then picking her up, he put one arm around her waist, and the other one he stretched out to support, and with his help, he marched more firmly than ever. Heidi jumped and bounded gaily by their side. In all this excitement, the grandfather did not lose his judgment, and before long, lifted Clara on his arm to carry her home. He knew that too much exertion would be dangerous, and rest was needed for the tired girl. Peter, arriving in the village late that day, saw a large disputing crowd. They were all standing about an interesting object, and everybody pushed and fought for a chance to get nearest. It was no other than the chair. I saw it when they carried it up, Peter heard the baker say. I bet it was worth at least five hundred francs. I should like to know how it's happened. The wind might have blown it down, remarked Barbara, who was staring open-mouthed at the beautiful velvet cushions. The uncle said so himself. It is a good thing if nobody else has done it, continued the baker. When the gentleman from Frankfurt hears what's happened, he'll surely find out all about it, and I should pity the culprit. I'm glad I've been up on the elm for so long, else they might suspect me as they would anybody who happened to be up there at the time. Many more opinions were uttered, but Peter had heard enough. He quietly slipped away and went home. What if they should find out he had done it? A policeman might arrive at any time, and they might take him away to prison. Peter's hair stood up on end at this alarming thought. He was so troubled when he came home that he did not answer any questions and even refused his dish of potatoes. Hurriedly creeping into bed, he groaned. I am sure Peter has eaten sorrel again, and that makes him groan so, said his mother. You must give him a little more bread in the morning, Brigida, 
Take a piece of mine, said the compassionate grandmother. When Clara and Heidi were lying in their beds that night, glancing up at the shining stars, Heidi remarked, Didn't you think today, Clara, that it is fortunate God does not always give us what we pray for fervently, because he knows of something better? What do you mean, Heidi? asked Clara. You see, when I was in Frankfurt, I prayed and prayed to come home again, and when I couldn't, I thought he had forgotten me. But if I had gone away so soon, he would never have come here, and would never have got well. Clara, becoming thoughtful, said, But, Heidi... Then we could not pray for anything anymore, because we would feel that he always knows of something better. But Clara, we must pray to God every day, to show we don't forget that all the gifts come from him. Grandmama has told me that God forgets us if we forget him. But if some wish remains unfulfilled, we must show our confidence in him, for he knows best. How did you ever think of that? asked Clara. Grandmama told me, but I know that it is so. We must thank God today that he has made you able to walk, Clara. I am glad that you've reminded me, Heidi, for I've nearly forgotten in my excitement. The children both prayed and sent their thanks up to heaven for the restoration. Next morning, a letter was written to Grandmama, inviting her to come up to the Alp within a week's time, for the children had planned to take her by surprise. Clara hoped then to be able to walk alone with Heidi for her guide. The following days were happier still for Clara. Every morning she awoke with her heart singing over and over again. Now I am well. Now I can walk like other people. She progressed and took longer walks every day. Her appetite grew amazingly, and the grandfather had to make larger slices of the bread and butter that, to his delight, disappeared so rapidly. He had to fill bowl after bowl of the foaming milk for the hungry children. In that way, they reached the end of the week that was to bring the grandmama. Chapter 23 Parting to Meet Again A day before her visit, the Grandmama had sent a letter to announce her coming. Peter brought it up with him next morning. The Grandfather was already before the hut with the children 
and his merry goats. His face looked proud as he contemplated the rosy faces of the girls and the shining hair of the two goats. Peter, approaching, neared the uncle slowly. As soon as he had delivered the letter, he sprang back shyly, looking about him as if he was afraid. Then, with a leap, he started off. I should like to know why Peter behaves like the big Turk when he is afraid of the rod, said Heidi, watching his strange behavior. Maybe Peter fears a rod that he deserves, said the old man. All the way, Peter was tormented with fear. He could not help thinking of the policeman who was coming from Frankfurt to fetch him to prison. It was a busy morning for Heidi, who put the hut in order for the expected visit. The time went by quickly, and soon everything was ready to welcome the good grandmama. The grandfather also returned from a walk, on which he had gathered a glorious bunch of deep blue gentians. The children, who were sitting on the bench, exclaimed for joy when they saw the glowing flowers. Heidi, getting up from time to time to spy down the path, suddenly discovered Grandmama sitting on a white horse and accompanied by two men. One of them carried plenty of wraps, for without those, the lady did not dare to pay such a visit. The party came nearer and nearer, and soon reached the top. Who do I see? Clara, what is this? Why are you not sitting in your chair? How is this possible? cried the grandmama in alarm, dismounting hastily. Before she had quite reached the children, she threw her arms up in great excitement. Clara, is that really you? You have red, round cheeks, my child. I hardly know you any more. Grandmama was going to rush at her grandchild when Heidi slipped from the bench and Clara, taking her arm, they quietly took a little walk. The grandmama was rooted to the spot from fear. What was this? Upright and firm, Clara walked beside her friend. When they came back, their rosy faces beamed. Rushing towards the children, the grandmother hugged them over and over again. Looking over to the bench, she beheld the uncle, who sat there smiling. Taking Clara's arm in hers, she walked over to him, continually venting her delight. When she reached the old man, she took both his hands in hers and said, My dear, 
dear uncle, what have we to thank you for? This is your work, your care and nursing. But our Lord Sunshine and Mountain interrupted the uncle, smiling. Then Clara called. Yes, and also Shwanali's good, delicious milk. Grandmama, you ought to see how much goat milk I can drink now. Oh, it is so good. Indeed, I can see that from your cheeks, said the grandmama, smiling. No, I hardly recognize you any more. You have become broad and round. I never dreamt that you should be so stout and tall. Oh, Clara, is it really true? I cannot look at you enough. But now I must telegraph your father to come. I shan't tell him anything about you, for it will be the greatest joy of his life. My dear uncle... How are we going to manage it? Have you sent the men away? I have, but I can easily send the goat herd. So they decided that Peter should take the message. The uncle immediately whistled so loud that it resounded from all sides. Soon, Peter arrived, white with fear for he thought his doom had come, but he only received a paper that was to be carried to the post office of the village. Relieved for the moment, Peter set out. Now all the happy friends sat down round the table, and Grandmama was told how the miracle had happened. Often the talk was interrupted, by exclamations of surprise from Grandmama, who still believed it was all a dream. How could this be her pale, weak little Clara? The children were in a constant state of joy to see how their surprise had worked. Meanwhile, Mr. Seisman, having finished his business in Paris, was also preparing a surprise. Without writing his mother, he travelled to Regatz on a sunny summer morning. He had arrived on this very day, some hours after his mother's departure, and now, taking a carriage, he drove to Mayenfeld. The long ascent to the Alp from there seemed very weary, and far to the traveller. When would he reach the goat herd's hut? There were many little roads branching off in several directions, and sometimes Mr. Seisman doubted if he had taken the right path. But not a soul was near, and no sound could be heard, except the rustling of the wind and the hum of little insects. A merry little bird was singing on a larch tree, but nothing more. Standing still and cooling his brow, he saw a boy 
running down the hill at a topmost speed. Mr. Seasman called to him, but with no success, for the boy kept a shy distance. Now, my boy, can't you tell me if I'm on the right path to the hut where Heidi lives and the people from Frankfurt are staying? A dull sound of terror was the only reply. Peter shot off and rushed head over heels down the mountainside, turning wild somersaults on his perilous way. His course resembled the course his enemy had taken some days ago. What a funny, bashful mountaineer, Mr. Seasman remarked to himself, thinking that the appearance of a stranger had upset this simple son of the Alp. After watching the downward course of the boy a little while, he soon proceeded on his way. In spite of great efforts, Peter could not stop himself and kept rolling on. But his fright and terror were still more terrible than his bumps and blows. The stranger was the policeman. That was a certain fact. At last, being thrown against a bush, he clutched it wildly. Good. Here's another one, a voice near Peter said. I wonder who is going to be pushed down tomorrow, looking like a half-opened potato bag. The village baker was making fun of him. For a little rest after his weary work, he had quietly watched the boy. Peter regained his feet and slunk away. How did the baker know the chair had been pushed? He longed to go home to bed and hide, for there alone he felt safe. But he had gone up to the goats, and the uncle had clearly told him to come back as quickly as he could. Groaning, he limped away up to the Alp. How could he run now? with his fear and all his poor, sore limbs. Mr. Seasman had reached the hut soon after meeting Peter and felt reassured. Climbing further with renewed courage, he at last saw his goal before him, but not without long and weary exertion. He saw the elm hut above him, and the swaying fir trees. Mr. Seasman eagerly hurried to encounter his beloved child. They had seen him long ago from the hut, and a treat was prepared for him that he never suspected. As he made the last steps, he saw two forms coming towards him, a tall girl with light hair, and rosy face was leaning on Heidi, whose dark eyes sparkled with keen delight. Mr. Seasman stopped short, staring at this vision. Suddenly, big tears rushed from his eyes. 
for this shape before him recalled sweet memories. Clara's mother had looked exactly like this fair maiden. Mr. Seasman, at this moment, did not know if he was awake or dreaming. Papa, don't you know me anymore? Clara called with beaming eyes. Have I changed so much? Mr. Seasman rushed up to her, folding her in his arms. Yes, you have changed. How is it possible? Is it really true? Is it really you, Clara? asked the overjoyed father, embracing her again and again, and then gazing at her as she stood tall and firm by his side. His mother joined them now, for she wanted to see the happiness of her son. What do you say to this, my son? Isn't our surprise finer than yours? She greeted him. But come over to our benefactor now. I mean, the uncle. Yes, indeed. I also must greet our little Heidi, said the gentleman, shaking Heidi's hand. Well, always fresh and happy on the mountain. I guess I don't need to ask, for no alpine rose can look more blooming. Ah, child, what joy this is to me. With beaming eyes, the child looked at the kind gentleman who had always been so good to her. Her heart throbbed in sympathy with his joy. While the two men, who had at last approached each other, were conversing, Grandmama walked over to the grove. There, under the fir trees, another surprise awaited her. A beautiful bunch of wondrously blue gentians stood as if they had grown there. How exquisite! How wonderful! What a sight! she exclaimed, clapping her hands. Heidi, come here. Have you brought me those? Oh, they are beautiful. The children had joined her, Heidi assuring her that it was another person's deed. Oh, Grandmama, up on the pasture, it looks just like that, Clara remarked. Just guess who brought you the flowers. At that moment, a rustle was heard, and they saw Peter, who was trying to sneak up behind the tree to avoid the hut. Immediately the old lady called to him, for she thought that Peter himself had picked the flowers. He must be creeping away out of sheer modesty, the kind lady thought. To give him his reward, she called, Come here, my boy, don't be afraid. Petrified with fear, Peter stood still. 
what had gone before had robbed him of his courage. He thought now that all was over for him. With his hair standing up on end and his pale face distorted by anguish, he approached. Come straight to me, boy, the old lady encouraged him. Now tell me, boy, if you have done that. In his anxiety, Peter did not see the grandmama's finger that pointed to the flowers. He only saw the uncle standing near the hut, looking at him penetratingly, and beside him the policeman, the greatest horror for him in the world. Trembling in every limb, Peter answered, Yes. Well, but what are you so frightened about? Because, because it is broken and can never be mended again, Peter said, his knees tottering under him. The grandmama now walked over to the hut. My dear uncle, she asked kindly, is this poor lad out of his mind? Not at all, was the reply. Only the boy was the wind which blew away the wheelchair. He is expecting the punishment he well deserves. Grandmama was very much surprised, for she vowed that Peter looked far from wicked. Why should he have destroyed the chair? The uncle told her that he had noticed many signs of anger in the boy since Clara's advent on the Alp. He assured her that he had suspected the boy from the beginning. My dear uncle, the old lady said with animation, we must not punish him any further. We must be just. It was very hard on him when Clara robbed him of Heidi, who is, and was, his greatest treasure. When he had to sit alone day after day, it roused him to a passion which drove him to a wicked deed. It was rather foolish, but we all get so when we get angry. The lady walked over to the boy again, who was still quivering with fear. Sitting down on the bench, she began. Come, Peter, I'll tell you something. Stop trembling and listen. You pushed the chair down to destroy it. You knew very well that it was wicked and deserved punishment. You tried very hard to conceal it, did you not? But if somebody thinks that nobody knows about a wicked deed, he is wrong. God always knows it. As soon as he finds that a man is trying to conceal an evil deed, he awakens a little watchman in his heart, who keeps on pricking the person with a thorn till all his rest is gone. He keeps on calling to the evildoer. 
Now you'll be found out. Now your punishment is near. His joy has flown, for fear and terror take its place. Have you not just had such an experience, Peter? Peter nodded, all contrite. He certainly had experienced this. You have made a mistake, said Grandmama, by thinking that you would hurt Clara by destroying her chair. It has so happened that what you have done has been the greatest good for her. She would probably have never tried to walk if her chair had been there. If she should stay here, she might even go up to the pasture every single day. Do you see, Peter? God can turn a misdeed to the good of the injured person and bring trouble on the offender. Have you understood me, Peter? Remember the little watchman when you long to do a wicked deed again. Will you do that? Yes, I shall, Peter replied, still fearing the policeman who had not yet left. So now that matter is all settled, said the old lady in conclusion. Now tell me if you have a wish, my boy, for I am going to give you something by which to remember your friends from Frankfurt. What is it? What would you like to have? Peter lifted his head, stared at the grandmother with round, astonished eyes. He was confused by this sudden change of prospect. Being again urged to utter a wish, he saw at last that he was saved from the power of the terrible man. He felt as if the most crushing load had fallen off him. He knew now that it was better to confess at once when something had gone wrong, so he said, I have also lost the paper. Reflecting a while, the grandmama understood and said, That is right. Always confess what is wrong. Then it can be settled. And now, what would you like to have? So Peter could choose everything in the world he wished. His brain got dizzy. He saw before him all the wonderful things in the fair Mayenfeld. He had often stood there for hours, looking at the pretty red whistles and the little knives. Unfortunately, Peter had never possessed more than half what those objects cost. He stood, thinking, not able to decide, when a bright thought struck him. Ten pennies was his decision. That certainly is not much, the old lady said with a smile, taking out of her pocket a big, round taller, on top of which she laid twenty pennies. 
Now I'll explain this to you. Here you have as many times ten pennies as there are weeks in the year. You'll be able to spend one every Sunday through the year. All my life, Peter asked quite innocently. The grandmama began to laugh so heartily at this that the two men came over to join her. Laughingly, she said, You shall have it, my boy. I will put it in my will, and then you will do the same, my son. Listen, Peter the goat herd shall have a ten-penny piece weekly as long as he lives. Mr. Seasman nodded. Peter, looking at his gift, said solemnly, God be thanked. Jumping and bounding, he ran away. His heart was so light that he felt he could fly. A little later, the whole party sat round the table, holding a merry feast. After dinner, Clara, who was lively as never before, said to her father, Oh, Papa, if you only knew all the things Grandfather did for me, it would take many days to tell you. I shall never forget them all my life. Oh, if we could please him only half as much as what he did for me. It is my greatest wish too, dear child, said her father. I have been trying to think of something all the time. We have to show our gratitude in some way. Accordingly, Mr. Seasman walked over to the old man and began. My dear friend, may I say one word to you? I'm sure you believe me when I tell you that I've not known any real joy for years. What was my wealth to me when I could not cure my child and make her happy? With the help of the Lord, you have made her well. You have given her a new life. Please tell me how to show my gratitude to you. I know I shall never be able to repay you, but what it is in my power, I shall do. Have you any request to make? Please let me know. The uncle had listened quietly and looked up at the happy father. Mr. Seasman, you can be sure that I also am repaid by the great joy I experience at the recovery of Clara. I thank you for your kind offer, Mr. Seasman. As long as I live, I have enough for me and the child but I have one wish. If this could be fulfilled, my life would be free of care. Speak, my dear friend, urged Clara's father. I am old, continued the uncle, and shall not live many years. 
When I die, I cannot leave Heidi anything. The child has no relations except one, who even might try to take advantage of her if she could. If you would give me the assurance, Mr. Seasman, that Heidi will never be obliged to go into the world and earn her bread, you would amply repay me for what I was able to do for you and Clara. My dear friend, there is no question of that, began Mr. Seasman. The child belongs to us. I promise at once that we shall look after her so that there will be no need of her ever earning her bread. We all know that she is not fashioned for a life among strangers. Nevertheless, she has made some true friends, and one of them will be here very shortly. Dr. Clarson is just now completing his last business in Frankfurt. He intends to take your advice and live here. He has never felt so happy as with you and Heidi. The child will have two protectors near her, and I hope with God's will that they may be spared a long, long time. And may it be God's will, added Grandmama, who with Heidi had joined them, shaking the uncle tenderly by the hand. Putting her arms around the child, she said, Heidi, I want to know if you also have a wish. Yes, indeed I have, said Heidi, pleased. Tell me what it is, child. I should like to have my bed from Frankfurt with the three high pillows and the thick, warm cover. Then Grandmother will be able to keep warm and won't have to wear her shawl to bed. Oh, and I'll be so happy when she won't have to lie with her head lower than her heels, hardly able to breathe. Heidi had said it all in one breath, she was so eager. Oh dear, I had nearly forgotten what I meant to do. I'm so glad you've reminded me, Heidi. If God sends us happiness, we must think of those who have many privations. I shall telegraph immediately for the bed and if Miss Rottenmere sends it off at once, it can be here in two days. I hope the poor, blind grandmother will sleep better when it comes. Heidi, in her happiness, could hardly wait to bring the old woman the good news. Soon it was resolved that everybody should visit the grandmother who had been left alone so long. Before starting, however, Mr. Seasman revealed his plans. He proposed to travel through Switzerland with his mother and Clara. He would spend the night in the village 
so as to fetch Clara from the elm next morning for the journey. From there they would go first to Regat's, then further. The telegram was to be mailed that night. Clara's feelings were divided, for she was sorry to leave the Alp, but the prospect of the trip delighted her. When everything was settled, they all went down, the uncle carrying Clara, who could not have risked the lengthy walk. All the way down, Heidi told the old lady of her friends in the hut, the cold they had to bear in winter, and the little food they had. Brigida was just hanging up Peter's shirt to dry when the whole company arrived. Rushing into the house, she called to her mother. Now they are all going away. Uncle is going too, carrying the child. Oh, must it be, sighed the grandmother. Have you seen whether they took Heidi away? Oh, if she only could give me her hand once more. Oh, I long to hear her voice once again. The same moment, the door was flung open and Heidi held her tight. Grandmother, just think, my bed with the three pillows and the thick cover is coming from Frankfurt. Grandmama has said that it will be here in two days. Heidi thought that Grandmother would be beside herself with joy, but the old woman, smiling sadly, said, Oh, what a good lady she must be. I know I ought to be glad she is taking you with her, but I don't think I shall survive it long. But nobody has said so, the grandmama who had overheard those words, said kindly. Pressing the old woman's hand, she continued. It is out of the question. Heidi will stay with you and make you happy. To see Heidi again, we will come up every year to the elm, for we have many reasons to thank the Lord there. Immediately, The face of the grandmother lighted up, and she cried tears of joy. Oh, what wonderful things God is doing for me, said the grandmother, deeply touched. How good people are to trouble themselves about such a poor old woman as I. Nothing in this world strengthens the belief in a good father in heaven more than this mercy and kindness shown to a poor, useless little woman like me. My dear grandmother, said Mrs. Seisman, before God in heaven we are all equally miserable and poor. Woe to us, if he should forget us. But now we must say goodbye. 
Next year we shall come to see you, just as soon as we come up the Alp. We shall never forget you. With that, Mrs. Seasman shook her hand. It was some time before she was allowed to leave, however, because the grandmother thanked her over and over again, and invoked all heaven's blessings on her and her house. Mr. Seasman and his mother went on down, while Clara was carried up to spend her last night in the hut. Next morning, Clara shed hot tears at parting from the beloved place where such gladness had been hers. Heidi consoled her with plans for the coming summer. That was to be even more happy than this one had been. Mr. Seasman then arrived, and a few last parting words were exchanged. Clara, half crying, suddenly said, Please give my love to Peter and the goats, Heidi. Please greet Shwanali especially for me, for she has helped a great deal in making me well. What could I give her? You can send her salt, Clara. You know how fond she is of that, advised little Heidi. Oh, I will surely do that, Clara assented. I'll send her a hundred pounds of salt as a remembrance of me. It was time to go now, and Clara was able to ride proudly beside her father. Standing on the edge of the slope, Heidi waved her hand, her eyes following Clara till she had disappeared. The bed has arrived. Grandmother sleeps so well every night now that before long she will be stronger than ever. Grandmama has not forgotten the cold winter on the Alp and has sent a great many warm covers and shawls to the goat herd hut. Grandmother can wrap herself up now and will not have to sit and shiver in a corner. In the village, a large building is in progress. The doctor has arrived and is living at present in his old quarters. He has taken the uncle's advice and has bought the old ruins that sheltered Heidi and her grandfather the winter before. He is rebuilding for himself the portion with the fine apartment already mentioned. The other side is being prepared for Heidi and her grandfather. The doctor knows that his friend is an independent man and likes to have his own dwelling. Bali and Chwanali, of course, are not forgotten. They will spend the winter in a good solid stable that is built just for them. The doctor and the owl uncle became better friends than ever, 
When they overlook the progress of the building, they generally come to speak of Heidi. They both look forward to the time when they will be able to move into the house with their merry charge. They have agreed to share together the pleasure and responsibility that Heidi brings them. The uncle's heart is filled with gratitude too deep for any words when the doctor tells him that he will make ample provisions for the child. Now her grandfather's heart is free of care, for if he is called away, another father will take care of Heidi and love her in his stead. At the moment when our story closes, Heidi and Peter are sitting in Grandmother's hut. The little girl has so many interesting things to relate, and Peter is trying so hard not to miss anything, that in their eagerness they're not aware that they are near the happy Grandmother's chair. All summer long they have hardly met, and very many wonderful things have happened. They are all glad at being together, and it's hard to tell who is the happiest of the group. I think Brigida's face is more radiant than any, for Heidi has just told her the story of the perpetual tenpenny piece. Finally, the grandmother says, Heidi, please read me a song of thanksgiving and praise. I feel that I must praise and thank the Lord for the blessings he's brought to us all. The End <laughs>